Father, thank you so much for this moment to enter into somebody else's story and to allow our lives to be shaped and our minds um, to be molded once again by the work of what it is that you're doing. Um, I pray that all of us, wherever we might happen to be, our hearts and our minds would be opened even wider, broader, more uh, capaciously, more openly to the move of your spirit in wild and mysterious ways. And ultimately, God, we just thank you so much for loving each and every one of us for exactly who we are and who you have created us to be. May we be reminded once again of that reality, be embraced by that truth, and live into this world upon um, that foundation. And we pray this in your name. Everybody says, amen. We're in the middle of a series on Deuteronomy, and uh, the title of my message today is Love Does, which I think dovetails, as I mentioned before, really nicely into some of what Trey was sharing. I'd like to just read a couple passages, share some reflections, and then we'll break for dinner. We'll start in chapter 4, verse 2, and point out a couple things. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 2, you must neither add anything to what I command you, nor take away anything from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God with which I am charging you. Now, We've, over the last couple of weeks, have talked about how the commandments, the laws, the rules, regulations, and stipulations need to be seen through a different lens. They are actually commandments there. There's no doubt about that. But we've been talking about how to view them and how to understand them. And this word keep is another one of those words that we can possibly rethink. When you think about keep a command, you simply mean to obey it. Do what it says. And that can either include a mind-numbing robotic, just blind obedience to keeping whatever the command is. But there's also another way to possibly think about this command, which is the word actually in Hebrew, which means to guard and to protect, to recognize that you have something that is of such value and of such worth, that you are willing to expend energy and time and effort into protecting that thing. So when the commandment says to keep these commandments. When the scriptures talk about keeping, guarding, and protecting, it's not just talking about blind obedience. It's talking about a kind of protection. It's talking about putting up things that protect the very commandments that I've given you because you see and you understand that these commandments, these stipulations, these laws, all of these things are extremely valuable. And if you don't see the value in the commandment, well, then that makes sense why you wouldn't want to keep it or protect it or put guards around it. But hopefully through the time that we have spent together and the time that we will continue to spend together, we will start to see that the ancient Israelites in this story thought that this is absolutely worth keeping, worth protecting. This is something of great value. Because these words actually resonate all the way back to the Genesis story. If you remember, there's a tree of life there. And that word to guard is the exact same word that God uses for Adam and Eve for what you are to do in the garden. I want you to serve it, and I want you to protect it. Why? Because this Eden that I have created for you, for us, for me, for the world, is beautiful and valuable and wonderful. So as we read through this, Guard, keep, protect. Yeah, that's what it means to obey. It first means to recognize and understand these are valuable. And holding on to these commandments 
is what gives them their sense of identity and value and purpose. And we're going to see a beautiful illustration of that in just a few moments. So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. And for those of you who know the word, the number one commandment, we say it every single week. Hear, Shema, Israel, guard, protect, give heed, obey, listen. It is resonant of what is most important for what it means to be a follower of this God is to obey and to follow through. So the, we've started off in chapter 4 as we're moving into, deeper into Deuteronomy, to guard and to protect because you see it as valuable. And because you see it as valuable, also follow through, obey, listen. Verse 3. You have seen for yourselves what the Lord did with, Lord did with regard to the Baal of Peor, how the Lord your God had destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, while those of you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, just as the Lord my God has charged me, I now teach you statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom. For those of you who remember a couple teachings ago, that this isn't just commandments, it's about wisdom, thinking really thoughtfully and wisely about this world. This will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples who... When they hear all of these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people, which is exactly what people say about Christianity today. (laughs) Why are you laughing at that? Your laughter betrays something very amiss about what has happened. Do you agree? They saw this. They understood this as wise thoughtful, valuable, life-giving. So much so that other people would look upon the people that followed these and goes, that's wisdom. And there's something there for us to consider and reclaim. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances is just as this entire law that I am setting before you today. Do you see how they saw this? Obeying the commands, guarding them, protecting them, meant that God was close. Obeying and guarding and protecting these commands meant that there was justice to be had in this world. They understood, they saw this, this entire agenda as a gift. This was a gift that was being given to the people. They did not see this primarily as a burden. If you read those words carefully, this is a gift. And exemplifies and expresses the very essence of who we are as a people of God. Closeness, intimacy, relationship with this God. And as we obey and as we live this out, a just, loving world where right is done, where goodness is done, where beauty is done, and where other people will look at you and say, You are wise people. They saw this as a gift. And why did they see this as a gift? To you it was shown that you would acknowledge that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire while you heard his words coming out of the fire. And because he loved your ancestors, he chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, giving you their land 
for a possession as it is still today. So acknowledge today and take to heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you today for your own well-being, that, that of your descendants after you, the children that come after you, so that you may long remain in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. I hope you're starting to feel a little bit differently about these laws, these stipulations. And I'd like for us to go back to verse 37 and 38, because you may have missed some of the really key elemental pieces that are found nowhere else in ancient legislation. Notice these words here. It's the turning point of this entire passage. Remember, we did the historical prologue in verses, uh, chapters 1 through 3. Here's where you were. You have to tell your story for figuring out where to move forward into the future. Chapter 4 is now the turn, and we're going to move into all of these commandments and stipulations and laws and statutes. You will obey them because you will value them because life will be had through them. And why do you have them? Verse 37 and 38 form this critical foundation. He loved your ancestors, therefore loving you chose their descendants after them. Did you know that you were chosen, selected by God? Brought you out of Egypt, which is to say, brought you out of slavery, out of oppression, out of injustice. Brought you in and giving you their land as a possession. And that word possession might actually be better translated as inheritance. And who gets an inheritance? Who gets an inheritance? the next person in line who is a part of the family. It's not just about giving. It's about family. So these words, love, chose, brought, bring, giving, possession, right at the turn of this verse, this isn't, this isn't just here, do this. These are all key terms. They are signals to you to say this entire agenda of what this whole thing is about is based upon a parent's love of a child. This is the foundation upon which you should see and understand all of the stipulations, all the laws, all the ordinances, all the rules, and all of the commandments. Don't forget that I loved your ancestors and I chose all the descendants. That, what we call covenant, covenantal love, relationship, family. You were once an orphan, you are now family. You were once a distant foreigner, you are now family. This idea of being brought into the family of God to be loved in that way is the turning point and foundation for what is to come. Jesus teaches about this all the time for those of you who know and have read the parable of the prodigal son being perhaps one of the most famous stories about how this son breaks all of the rules, breaks all of the social rules, breaks all of the, the ways in which you're supposed to relate to a father. And what does the father do? Even though the son goes off and you know, burns it all, my son is home. Kill the fattened calf, we're throwing a party. My son once was dead, but now he's alive. Which is to say, he once departed from the family, but now he was, he's here, he's back. And guess what? The entire time I, the father, have been waiting desperately for my son to return. Because he was always my son. He was always loved. He was always part of my inheritance. Always. A couple weeks ago, after I shared the first message, um, wherever Audrey is, Audrey gave me this beautiful analogy. 
I'm going to throw up some rules and regulations that some of you in this room should follow. And you should do them, and you should obey them, and you should absolutely hear and listen and heed to every single one of their words. Okay? Do them. Don't walk alone in the dark by yourself. If walking alone in the dark, don't ever wear headphones. If walking alone in the dark, don't use your phone. Tell someone where you're coming from, where you're going, and when is the latest you should arrive at your next safe location. Don't wear flashy jewelry, high heels, or tight clothing. Don't go to the bathroom alone. Park under a light in the parking lot. Keep your keys out so you're not looking for them outside. Place your keys between your fingers to use as protection if necessary. Don't leave your drink unattended. Lock the door as soon as you get in the car. Don't keep your windows open or unlocked if you're staying alone on the first floor. Don't answer the door if you're by yourself and you're not expecting anyone or you can't see who it is. Is there anybody in this room that has obeyed and listened to these commandments? Well, any of them, not necessarily all of them. But mostly all the women in here, yes? In fact, you ladies know exactly what this is. If I were to simply write this down as I did and say, do this, this is the commandment to do, abstracted out of the context of what you all know why you should do these things, what are they? They're just, don't leave my drink unattended? Who would write that? That is the stupid, I leave my drink unattended all the time. But you already know that there's a context and that there's a whole other story around why you should not do those things. But if I were to simply write them down and then pass them on and to give them to somebody, say, this, this is clearly what you're supposed to do, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. And especially for many of us guys in here. But for all the ladies, you know exactly why. Now, does this obviously justify, you know, the behavior? Clearly not. You are recognizing, though, what a commandment and a stipulation is. And this, I thought, was a brilliant analogy. This is not about how all of you ladies should do this because that's what it means to be a good woman. You do these things because you recognize that your mother loves you. You recognize that you are being given wisdom of a mother for your daughters. You recognize that what you are being given is for your protection. And you guard and you protect those stipulations and laws because you know by doing them, you receive life. Guard these rules. And ultimately, you guard these rules because you are my daughter. And I love you. And I care about you. And if you don't do these things, my heart will break. And if you just dismiss them because, oh, that's just mom or dad just giving me laws, you miss out on something far more profound of what is happening in those laws. When we get to the rest of Deuteronomy and you start to see some of these laws and these stipulations, it is going to be really easy for us to immediately slip back into, why in the world should I not carry sticks on the Sabbath? What is that all about? And today, I'm hoping to instill into our minds, don't forget verse 36, 37, and 38 of chapter 4. It's because I loved you, and I chose you, and I freed you, and I brought justice to you. That's why I'm giving you all of these. Just like all of the laws and the commandments of what you women should be doing for your protection and for your guidance. Last, 
This last phrase of possession indicates a whole other level of what it means to have a relationship and what kind of foundation upon which you understand these stipulations and laws are coming. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19, it says, I had resolved to adopt you as a child, and I gave you a desirable land, the fairest inheritance of all the nations, and I thought you would surely call me father. And I mentioned earlier that the word possession should be translated inheritance because possession and inheritance are essentially the same thing. It's the the same word, the same idea. And part of what we understand to be inheritance and a possession is perhaps simply the material thing that we get. We get an inheritance, I get a check in the mail, or I get whatever the material possession is. But what we may miss, and part of what is embedded into this text, is that inheritance isn't about the material thing. It was never about the material thing. The inheritance is merely the object of something else. It's the result of something else. And what is that something else? Inheritance means you are my child. So if God is saying, I am giving you an inheritance, it is not just to say, there's prosperity at the end. It is to say something about the status of who you are in relationship to God. And what you get from the inheritance, the material possession, is virtually irrelevant. It is that you get an inheritance. It is that you are a child of God. It is that your status is changed from a foreigner to family, from an orphan to child. And that is ultimately what this is all about. And it was illustrated, I thought, quite profoundly in this documentary that I recently watched, Knock Down the House, which is this documentary about the recent political season and the fight that many of these candidates have had to go through, some of the losses, the tragedies. And at the very end of the film, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tells this story that I think brilliantly illustrates this idea of inheritance and this idea of possession. Uh, This clip that I'm going to show you is right after they realize that Ocasio-Cortez has won against all odds. And she shares a little bit about what it means to her and why this is so important. And again, I'm hoping that some of the political aspects of this clip um, are definitely there. But I want you to see the definition of possession and inheritance in what she says. Because that is what I think is going on in this Deuteronomy story that is illustrated so wonderfully here. When I was a little girl, my dad wanted to go on a road trip with his buddies. I wanted to go so badly. And I begged and I begged and I begged and he relented. And so it was like four grown men and a five-year-old girl went on this road trip from New York. We stopped. We stopped here. And it was a really beautiful day. He leaned down next to me and he pointed at the Washington Monument and he pointed at the reflecting pool and he pointed at everything and he said, he said, you know, this all belongs to us. He said, this is our government. It belongs to us. So all of this stuff is yours. 
last thing my dad ever told me was to make him proud. And I finally think I did. <laughs> I hope. I love that clip. This is all yours. It belongs to you. Notice it's really not about owning the thing. It's not about the material possession of the pool or the capital. It's about recognizing what kind of relationship I have with this place, with this people, with this land. So when God says that I have given you an inheritance, it's not about the thing. It's about kind of what is status, what kind of status you have with this God. The very beginning of chapter 4, we also missed over a particular piece. Please take care and watch yourselves closely. In the midst of all this watching and guarding of your commandments and of all your rules and regulations, there is this phrase that you should also guard yourself. And the actual phrase there in the original Hebrew is actually mind your soul. Be careful to mind and care for and guard and protect your inner self. And in there is a clue that it is on that relationship. It's about who you are in relationship with this God to be loved and to be chosen. It is upon that foundation that all of the rest of the stipulations and laws are going to come. Commentators reading through Deuteronomy carefully in this particular way have essentially come to the conclusion that love ultimately is the identity upon which the entirety of the legal commands are to be established and obeyed. I think I'm just repeating myself now. If you merely see Deuteronomy as a list of commands and do's and don'ts, put your keys in your hands, don't leave your drink unattended, park under a light, and just do those things, you may be missing out on something much bigger, which is the love and the relationship that God has called you into. Your ownership of that thing means that you are part of the family. Covenant with God and with people. That's what this entire agenda is about. Laws, therefore do not dictate a society's order. It is not just about obeying the laws that dictate how we are ordered and how we are governed. Love dictates that. Love does. Laws do not dictate a society's order. Love does. Which means that laws are just simply in service of ensuring that love is at the center. And so one of the reasons why I really appreciated Trey's testimony in light of this particular message is even there you hear... I was taught so many things growing up about what is right and what is wrong. Many of us have been down that road. This is clearly what's right and what's wrong. And what we may have missed, what we may have missed, is that in all of the laws that we read, in all the do's and the don'ts, all the sins and the things that are, are abominations to God, we may have forgotten this fundamental truth that is woven all throughout the text and all throughout the story, that the only reason why God gave us these commandments in the first place is because he called us his child. Because he called us his own. That he freed us out of slavery, out of misery, out of Egypt, to be his family. And so to Trey and to everyone else, that's where we start. You are family. You are a child of God. You are loved. In answer to Trey's song, Hey Jesus, yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. You are loved for exactly who you are. 
going to ask Junior and the team to come forward, and we're going to move into communion. And I hope, my friends, that as we take communion together, that you also will be reminded once again of the elements and what they represent and how they symbolize, yes, you are in this family too. You belong. And as we belong, we will together learn and discover and try to understand better what does it mean to actually follow all of these laws and these commandments that are coming as we continue on through Deuteronomy. But I hope first and foremost that you understand, that you embrace and that you know at the core of your being, that it's not the laws that have established who we are as a people. It has always been God's love. It has always been his radical acceptance of who we are. It has always been we were once orphans and we were made family. It has always been you were once an outsider, you've been made in. And I pray desperately that we continue to work hard at being that kind of community where everybody who walks through these doors, everybody that you have dinner with and everybody that you work with and everybody because you are sparked, because you represent this kind of commandment, that your mere presence welcomes in those around you as children of God. Brothers and sisters, you know, we say that phrase, but we mean it. You are part of this family. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So my friends, as we sing, I pray that you um, feel that amazing outreach of Christ's hands to you to welcome you into that family. So as you take the bread and as you take the juice, as you dip it in, um, may you be reminded once again that you are deeply and desperately loved. My benediction is simple. To all of you, every single one of you, you have an inheritance. That's what we call the kingdom of heaven. And it belongs to you because you belong to the king.